Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another episode. This week is really going to be different because I have two guest hosts with me. Isabel, and what is little man's name? Uh, Nicholas, and he's one month old. Oh, Isabel and Nicholas. So Nicholas is just one month old. Isabel, I met Isabel on Instagram. You have a really popular Instagram page. Um, what is your... What is the name of your page? How do you, I mean, I, I know what it is, but how do you say that? It says Nurse Isa. Isa, okay. And I wasn't Isa. sure it was, how it was pronounced. Okay. So it's Nurse underscore I-S-A-A, Nurse Isa. Yes. Okay. So wonderful to have you. You were one of the first people on Instagram with a pretty substantial following to give us a shout out and put us on your story. And I remember last year when you did that, Sam, uh, my co-host for several episodes when I first started this, got so excited and like sent it, she screenshotted it and she sent it to all of our friends, all of our nurse friends and stuff. And was like, look, nurse Isis shouted us out and put us on her story. And she was so funny. We were just like, oh my gosh. So we, <laughs> we really appreciate you doing that for us and being a fan and following us. And I'm a fan of yours too. So welcome to the show. Thank you. So we have some good stories today. The audio may be a little different today. We are recording on Zoom meeting. Isabel's not used to doing podcasting. So it's not like she's got the whole recording thing set up in her house. So she has AirPods on and also holding little Nicholas. So it may be a little different, but that's okay. We'll, we'll go with it. Go with the flow. Exactly. That's what you have to do when you're podcasting. So the first thing we wanted to talk about, I have been dying, 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 dying ever since last week when I saw, every time I see it on Facebook or Instagram, I'm like, I want to talk about this so bad. The shoes that Nike has decided to come out with, the for nurses and doctors, it specifically says, we. I saw this article and I sent it to Isabel and I was like, Let's talk about this. This is so exciting. Everybody seems to be excited about it. What do you think about them? You know, I'm I'm curious to see like what they feel like and what people think about them once they start wearing them. They're mm-hmm. pretty neat looking. They're very neat looking. I like the fact for one thing that it says that they're going to they're kind of sort of leathery, you know, so they they have that smooth surface instead of the meshy surface that germs and bacteria can kind of creep down in and it's hard to clean them so they'll be easier to clean because my shoes I have to wear either Brooks Ghost 11 or A6 Nimbus gel because it has just the right amount of arch support and cushion and it's just I have to have those my feet just cannot stand it I have plantar fasciitis and I got that in nursing school thank you nursing school from standing on my feet just you know just standing there for four or five hours and so I really hope, it says that they are going to have the arch support of Dansko's. Have you ever worn Dansko's, the clog type? So I do wear Dansko's pretty much every day to work. And I've always found sneakers to be more comfortable, but I was always kind of nervous about keeping them clean in the hospital. So um, with these having like the new different um, material that they're made out of, I'd be really interested to see, you know, if you if you could wipe them off with like the purple wipes or... Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm really curious about it too. At our hospital, we only use, well, maybe I should say on our floor, we only have bleach wipes or alcohol wipes. And I personally, you know, in microbiology, we learned that alcohol only goes so far in killing germs. I tend to want to use the bleach wipes on everything, but I don't want to 
use them on the top meshy part. I don't feel like it does good a good job on my shoes. So I'm always nervous about my shoes. And so I really hope these have arch support and cushion in them. If they do, I'm going to be a huge fan. I cannot wait to get to try some. I don't know. Have you seen when they're going to actually be available to purchase? Yeah, I think they um, release in December. In December. Okay, perfect. Christmas. Oh, hey, Nicholas. Are you ready to talk about it? Oh. <laughs> this has an opinion. He's like, he's, he's like, I want to be on the podcast. <laughs> yes, he has an opinion. He wants to say something about those shoes. <laughs> did you did did you work with while while you were pregnant with him? I I did. I made it to thirty six weeks. Um, oh, good job. And I yeah, and I was going to work up until the end, but I ended up going into preterm labor, so they took me out a little early. But we made it pretty far. He is so adorable. I can't even stand it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> I can see her. We're Zoom meeting, so I can see her, and he's just oh, I can't even stand it. He's so precious. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well. I can't wait in December. I will definitely be asking for a pair of those for Christmas. No doubt about it. I can't wait to try them out. We'll have to come back and talk about it again later and when, whenever, and kind of get everybody's opinion. I can't wait to find out what they're like and see if they live up to the hype. Yeah, can't wait to see what they're like. Hey Q, we're in a commercial, so we got to talk fast. Let's do it. Okay. So I think I know the answer to this question, but have you ever signed up for a travel nurse agency and immediately regretted it when you started getting all those texts and emails? Sadly, Tina, yes, I have. Okay. Well, Trusted Health is a nurse travel agency that's going to change all of that. They make it simple and fast to go online and sign up, and then you immediately start seeing job opportunities that are tailored to your interests, and you can even see the pay. Sounds too good to be true, Tina. Well, the best best part is there are no recruiters, no unwanted emails, and no unwanted text messages. No recruiters? Tina, I'm going to need some help. Where are we going to go if we have all these questions? Right, right. Well, they do have nurse advocates who are there to answer any questions. They'll help guide you through the process, but they're not commission-based, so they're not going to try to pressure you into taking a job that you don't want. Cool beans, cool beans. Well, tell them where to sign up because we're running out of time here. Okay, right, right. So, you guys, if you're even a little curious about travel nursing and you want to help support our little podcast here at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, please go to www.trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse. And follow the steps to completing the sign-up process. It's real important that you complete the whole process for us to get credit, and we would really appreciate the support. Remember to be sure and put forward slash good nurse at the end of the URL when you go to their website so they'll know we sent you there. Trusted Health, they're not just an agency, they're a movement. So that brings us to our bad, well, we do have a doctor again this week. So this, we'll start out talking about the, the victim. And first and foremost, Noreen Schmidt-Boyle was her name. She was a beautiful mother, two children. She had Collier and Elizabeth. At the time that she passed away, she, they were, Collier was 11 and Elizabeth was three. Um, she was married to a doctor of osteopathic medicine. We've talked about that before here on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. I think we actually had another DO that we talked about, Sam and I'm drawing a blank right now. It's the guy from back in like the 50s that was accused of killing his wife and went to prison and then got released. The DOs are basically the same thing as an MD. It's just a maybe a different philosophy, maybe more, they consider themselves more holistic and considering the whole patient. So, but still the same thing as a medical doctor as far as what they're allowed to do their scope of practice and everything. It's the same. So 
that was, so she was married to a doctor of osteopathic medicine. His name was John Boyle and he went by Jack. He was 46 at the time that this happened. She was 44. So Nori knew that Jack was having relationships with, with other women outside of their marriage. This was not anything that was a huge surprise to her, but I think she was really, according to a lot of the people around her, her friends and family, she was, for one thing, kind of concerned with how people saw their family. She was raised in a more blue-collar, working-class family, and she really liked the more upper-class, wealthier side and wanted to sort of have that image. And so, in fact, some of some of the people that were interviewed on this episode of Forensic Files that, that the story came from said she even went so far as telling people that she grew up in a mansion and she knew Grace Kelly's family. So she was kind of enamored with that whole lifestyle. So part of it might have been just wanting to keep up that, the image of the perfect family. But also, I think for the sake of her children, she did love her children very much, and but she she just pretty much acted like she didn't know or didn't care that these affairs were going on. Her husband's medical practice was very popular in this town. One out of every 13 residents of this county was a patient in this practice. It was huge. So it's kind of like he was the town doctor. So Noreen's mother was a secretary and her father was a machinist. And she actually went to school to be a dental hygienist. Now, I know a couple of dental hygienists. That is a very highly sought after employee because I know that dentists are desperate for dental hygienists. I don't I don't know what it may be kind of like nurses that that there's just a shortage of people that want to do that work. I I know that getting into to dental hygienist school is very competitive. It's not easy getting into those schools. Maybe it's a lack of schools. But do you know any dental hygienists? I do. One of my good friends is a dental hygienist actually. Yeah. She um she does love it. She always has a job. So Yeah. That's it's definitely, there's definitely job security in that profession. It's, uh, I could never deal with teeth. Oh, me neither. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I work in the ICU and just even sometimes doing mouth care, I'm like, this is not for me. I know. <laughs> if I, I know. could eliminate one aspect of my job, I think that might be it. Yes. It's so necessary, but I, I like it better when the mouth care has been done regularly because I don't mind it as long as it's been done regularly. But when I go in to do mouth care and I can kind of tell either the patient's new to the hospital and they haven't been taken care or for whatever reason, the mouth is just, I mean, we've had patients sometimes admitted from skilled nursing facilities or nursing homes. And I'm just like, has anybody ever looked in this patient's mouth? Oh uh, it, gosh, I know. And I'm just like, oh. And when you do the that debriding, you know, stuff that comes in those kits and and all that stuff comes out, I'm just like, I don't know how dentists and hygienists do this. I cannot. Ugh. So kudos to you guys. You deserve whatever you, whatever pay or whatever you whatever they're willing to because there it's a obviously it's a necessary field. I mean, cleaning your teeth is extremely important to your health. It's it's can cause endocarditis, it can cause all kinds of infections and different problems. So very important to have your teeth clean. Very important to have dental hygienists. Thank you guys for what you do. So 
shortly after New Year's Eve in 1989, Collier, so little Collier, he is, so I told you he was 11 years old. He's very mature, very, very mature and very impressive. He went to his mother and he said that he had seen his father kissing another woman. And he was, he was very concerned. So that woman was his dad's girlfriend, was Dr. Boyle's girlfriend. Her name was Sherry Campbell. And Noreen was very upset about this, not because she didn't know that this was going on, but because her son was experiencing this and he was obviously really upset about it. And she did not like at all that the way that it was affecting him. And she decided that she was going to put an end to all of this. So she filed for divorce. She cited mental cruelty and neglect as the reasons. But then somehow Jack talked her out of the divorce proceedings. It, it sort of stopped. And they, instead of divorcing, they decided to make a fresh start in a town called Erie, Pennsylvania. And he went and bought a house there, paid full price. Now, do you, have you ever purchased a home, Isabel? Yes, yes. Did you pay, did you just walk up and pay full price? No, we did a little bit of an offering and bargaining. Yeah, I think that's pretty standard. I I would be surprised if most people would just walk up and pay full price for a house unless it's a really competitive market, which sometimes that does happen. Sometimes people actually end up paying more because every time they go to look for a house, they 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 think oh this just went on the market they they try to put an offer in and someone's already put an offer in so there are competitive markets in which that would happen that you would offer to pay full price or even more just to try to get it but it's not typical and something tells me that wasn't the case here because he wanted the current owners to be out by January the first so they could move in right away he was like I'll pay full price I just want you out of here by January the first. And I just thought that was... Like he was in a, little, in a little bit of a rush. Yeah, that was just... It's kind of one of those things that kind of make makes you kind of roll your eyes up. Like, what is going on there? It's, I'm surprised his wife didn't think it was odd too. Because she should have known what... Or maybe would have thought, well, why are we in such a hurry? Why do we get... Why January the 1st? But So I'm sure though he probably had his reasons that he sounds like the kind of smooth talker kind of guy that can sort of come up with an excuse for everything. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure he talked his way out of it somehow. But according to Collier, at some point in the middle of the night on New Year's Eve of 1989, he heard his parents arguing and then he heard a really loud thud. And he said shortly after that, he heard an even louder noise was kind of similar and he laid there in bed and he heard footsteps coming toward his room. So he closed his eyes and pretended to go to sleep. It just breaks my heart to think about this little guy. I mean, as mature as he is, he's still 11 years old. And to have to be laying there afraid of what's going on. But he knew enough to close his eyes and pretend to be asleep. So he heard someone open the door. They stood there for several minutes until they closed the door and went on. I know that how I am if I'm trying to keep my eyes closed. <laughs> to try to pretend like I'm asleep. My eyes just want to like quiver and I can't do it. So I'm so proud of him for doing such a good job of just laying there perfectly still. The next morning, the family noticed that Noreen was missing. And Jack said, that's Dr. Boyle, said that they had gotten into an argument and that she left in the middle of the night. So it was the holiday. So Dr. Boyle's mother was staying with them at the time for the holidays. 
And she told investigators that she had heard Noreen leave late at night. Now, there was a neighbor who said he was up late, but never saw anyone leave. And the story actually said that he was between the hours of one and four. He never saw anyone leave. I thought that... (laughs) Is, I mean, that was a little bit odd to me because like, it, what now? I mean, are you standing there for four hours, three or four hours watching the house? I don't know. That just, right. I don't know that that was a definitive proof, you know, any definitive proof that, that she didn't leave the house or that no one left the house. But anyway, that was maybe a little, a little bit of, of evidence. So after her disappearance, Jack began going back and forth to the new house in Erie. Um, he said he was getting ready for to move for them to move in, trying to get the house ready. Investigators discovered, though, that he had rented a jackhammer at a local heavy equipment rental store. And he said, well, I rented it to break up ice. Now, where we live, we don't get a lot of ice, okay? I mean, we get some, but when we do, it usually melts within like a day or two. And we all freak out and can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> but in in Pennsylvania, I would imagine that it's pretty common to have snow and ice this time of year. And yet no one that, like, for instance, the, the people being interviewed on this show, on, on this Forensic File episode, and then people commenting on posts and that sort of thing regarding this story, no one from up north, even people in Canada, said that it was at all common. Have they ever heard of anybody running a jackhammer to break up ice? So um, I'm in New England, actually. I'm kind of up near Boston. So we have lots of snow and ice. Never, ever, ever would I rent any heavy machinery to to help me break up the ice. No, you put salt down, that's it. (laughs) What you just said is exactly what everyone else said. Maybe shovel with the, maybe you hit hit it with the shovel, but never heard of this, so... Okay, Dr. Boyle, whatever. (laughs) So he rented a jackhammer to break up the ice. And Collier later on would testify uh, that a few days after his mother disappeared, his father was complaining of his shoulders and arms being sore and said that he even had to rub liniment ointment on him. So I'm assuming that's, they're saying, well, using the jackhammer to break up probably something a little stronger than ice, maybe concrete. And for a little bit longer period of time, it's just that story is ridiculous. But investigators decide, okay, with all that we have, we think we have enough evidence to get a warrant. So they go in to search the new house and they found that there was a there was brand new indoor-outdoor carpet in the basement and also freshly poured concrete in one area. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I like going out on limbs on, on Gunders Betters. But I can't even imagine buying a brand new house, get quote, getting it ready to move into and focusing on re-putting new concrete in the basement and new indoor-outdoor carpet. That's your, that's your priority for getting the house ready to move into. Can you not do that after you move in? It's the basement. What, why is this the priority? It's a little sketchy. It just doesn't doesn't make any sense at all. Full of holes. So when they dug into the concrete, they did find a decomposing body. It was a middle-aged woman. 
She had a plastic bag over her head. The real estate agent who helped Jack with the purchase of the home told investigators about the woman who purchased the home with him. So when he went to sign the papers, this woman signed her name in Sherry Boyle, even though her first name was Sherry. Her first name did not start with an N. Sherry Campbell, his girlfriend, her first name was Sherry. So they think she was trying to convince the real estate agent that she was Noreen. When asked about in court later, she just pleaded the fifth, which of course that's, she's trying to protect herself from being prosecuted in the future for that, I guess for forgery. So by the end of the month, authorities had arrested Jack. They were holding him on five, a $5 million bond. The trial began a few months after the murder in 1990 and the doctor testified for nine hours on his own behalf. And of course, they always tell us this is never a good idea for you to testify on your own behalf. It's highly unlikely that you're going to be able to come across as likable and sympathetic to the jury. And also, you're opening yourself up to cross-examination from the prosecution. So it's generally, they just say it's not a good idea, even if you're innocent. But people who do things like like this are typically arrogant and are completely unaware of their own flaws and their own personality flaws and how they come across to other people. So he did testify on his own behalf for nine hours. It came out during questioning that Jack had arranged for Sherry Campbell to cook a pork roast and bring it over on New Year's Day. So the prosecutor pointed out that Jack would not have arranged ahead of time for Sherry to come over with the pork roast unless he knew his wife was not going to be there. So Jack received a sentence of life without the possibility of parole for 20 years for aggravated murder and a consecutive 18 months for abuse of a corpse. So he was obviously convicted. In 1994, Jack Boyle claimed the body found underneath his basement didn't belong to Noreen and that she might still be alive. It's, it's just unbelievable that someone would be willing to drag, which I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I'm always surprised at these people's behavior. But when you, go, when you stop and think about what they did, the, the worst thing that they did, but still, they're children. I just, it's, it's just unimaginable to do something like this and then keep dragging your son through this torture. You know that ultimately the truth is going to come out. This is 1994. DNA was a thing. They, he had to, to have known. So apparently though, some of the details that were entered during the investigation about her body, you know, when her body was pulled out of the basement, some of the details entered about the body were inconsistent with facts about Noreen. So I want to say it was like her her eye color, maybe some other things. And so they were saying this was couldn't have been her because her eyes were green and it says they were blue or that, you know, that sort of thing. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder about that. Well, it's just... It, I when I think about it, I, I think every we're we're all human, and we talk about that all the time on Good Nurse Bad Nurse. People make mistakes with, at their job. They're people. Some there was a person who was responsible for writing down the eye color or, or logging whatever specifics that were inconsistent 
when they wrote down those specifics about the body. And so you, that person can be wrong. It's not like they couldn't make a mistake, but they did have to exhume her body and do further testing on it in order to work out those inconsistencies. And I guess that's fair if, if he were not guilty, I could definitely see wanting, you know, if someone, if this happened, because something that we also talk about a lot is the fact that sometimes all of these circumstances in someone's life could really be coincidental. And it just would be really unfortunate that all of these things just happen to line up the way they do. And someone innocent gets convicted of doing something awful like this. So if I would want them to to do everything that they need to do to iron out any inconsistencies. And that does make sense to me. But Dr. Boyle's brother also claimed that he had received a phone call from Noreen after the night she officially disappeared. So he was basically saying, well, I know she's alive because she called me. Now, she didn't call anyone else other than Dr. Boyle's brother. Hmm. But she didn't call her, her children to talk to them. Around the same time that Jack was trying to get a new trial, that same brother, his name was Charles Boyle, started rumors about Noreen. He claimed that the adoption of Elizabeth from Taiwan, oh, I don't know if I mentioned that, she had, they had adopted Elizabeth, a three-year-old, that, she was three when this happened. They, she, they had adopted her from Taiwan. He started claiming that the adoption was illegitimate and that she had been part of a baby selling scheme. Just there was absolutely nothing to substantiate that whatsoever. He also completely separate from that claimed she was in an, an international gold jewelry smuggler. Yeah, she seemed like that kind of person. You know, when you really look at her life, it's somebody who was going to be smuggling gold jewelry. It's, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But this is Dr. Boyle's brother saying all this stuff. And again, absolutely no evidence whatsoever that there's any sliver of truth to that. He said that she had planned to burn down the new house in Erie out of jealousy and that she had multiple affairs of her own with men, including a contractor and a police officer. He also suggested that she staged her own death and, and then disappeared on her own. But, but then she called him and him alone after all of this. So I don't know. So those stories, of course, were proven false when they exhumed Noreen's body and DNA testing did confirm her identity. The misinformation was just a human error, as will happen. And so on June 2nd, 1994, Jack Boyle lost his appeal of the case when a panel of circuit judges ruled that the evidence of his guilt was overwhelming. Elizabeth was adopted by the family of a local school principal and Collier was pretty much alone after his mother was murdered and his father went to prison. In an interview for the Daily Mail, he said he had a lot of rejection from both sides of his family. He said that his father's family probably felt like he betrayed them and they didn't want to adopt him or have him live with them. And the mother's family probably had trouble embracing a murderer's son. So in a way, just a sense of further rejection. And that's, that's just terrible. I, I hate that for him that not only is he separated, his, he's lost his mother, obviously lost his father, separated from his sibling, Elizabeth, because she gets adopted by his completely separate family. And I'm assuming he, I don't know where he lived or who he lived with, but I'm assuming it must've been some sort of state custody. He ended up 
becoming a, um, a, he's in film and he did a documentary called A Murder in Mansfield about the whole story. And supposedly it shows a reunion between him and his father at the end. Just, Ooh, I'd be really interested to watch that documentary. Yeah. I didn't actually watch it. I, I went and purchased it on Amazon and but I didn't actually watch it. I watched the Forensic Files episode and read a lot of different things, but it's a little bit long. And so I didn't actually watch it, but I do plan to watch it at some point. It does look fascinating. It looks like it would be really interesting because he's grown up now. He's like 40, you know, this happened in 1989. So, so that's our bad doctor story for this week. I'm not being awkward, am I? This is like, I've never done this before. You're doing fine. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) that brings us to our good doctor story and I wanted to since we kind of picked on a DO a doctor of osteopathic medicine I was really trying to find a story a good story about a DO and I found an amazing one I love this story did you look at this I did yeah it's so incredible oh I'm so amazed so I found this article and it talked about Dr. Gerald Coleman III, he is a DO, and how he was working in the emergency room. He got a call. It says that would change his life forever. He practices at Lehigh Valley Hospital in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. And interestingly enough, it's also in Pennsylvania. Did not do that on purpose at all, but well. So he said that the paramedics called in, outlined the case. They said it was a 25-year-old man who had been found frozen in a snowbank where he'd been lying for 10 to 12 hours in sub-zero temperatures. And he said the man wasn't breathing, had no heartbeat. The coroner was on his way and just wanted Dr. Coleman to pronounce the patient dead. So what happened next was very remarkable and actually made headlines all the way around the world. So Dr. Coleman asked paramedics to go ahead and bring the patient, this was Justin Smith was his name, to the emergency room. He was given CPR, airlifted to the hospital's flagship branch for more treatment. And incredibly, he survived. Unbelievable. They did CPR in him for two hours, flew him to another facility so he could be connected to an extracorporeal membrane oxygenation ECMO machine that oxygenates and circulates the blood. And as he warmed up, his heart started beating and then fibrillating. And so then they, the cardiothoracic surgeon who was treating him shocked his heart three times and shocked him right back into a normal rhythm. And he recovered. I mean, he lost, I think it said he lost all of his toes and a few of his fingers, if I'm not mistaken. This is incredible. All this talk about snow and ice is making me nervous for winter. Oh, I know. <laughs> We're getting close, aren't we? And it seems oh, like it's, we are. it's colder. It's November. It's mid-November right now. And it's colder, I think, than it, than it normally is this time of year. It feels like it is to me anyway. It is. It like is we, cold. We skipped right over fall and went straight into winter. But, we sure did. <laughs> but he did have to have both pinky fingers and all his toes amputated. But other than that, he's made a full recovery, including complete full brain function, which is something I think that a lot of healthcare professionals really worry about because we see that, I, I see it so often where I work. 
people who have been in motor vehicle accidents, people who've gone into cardiac arrest, people for whatever reason have had traumatic brain injuries or anoxic brain injuries where they're, they've not had oxygen for several minutes. And yeah, we might be able to keep their their body alive. We can do that for a long time, sometimes even years, sometimes 20 years. I've seen patients 20, 30 years, completely unable to respond or communicate at all, but their body is is still alive and it's so unfortunate. And that's something that I always worry about with a patient who has had oxygen cut off for an extended period of time. That did not happen with him. It's amazing. It is amazing. And like, even not having oxygen to the brain for, you know, a few minutes can cause such severe damage. And this was, this was hours in this case. I know. So it's really incredible. Yeah, it really, I, I think this is a wonderful story. And this doctor said that he kind of had gotten to a place where he was sort of feeling burned out and not really enjoying his job anymore. And this event happening has, for one thing, he, he's writing a book about it and he's doing uh, research on it and trying to educate people about it. And so it's kind of renewed his love for medicine. And so I think it's not only did it save this one person's life, but it's also helping a lot of other people who are going to benefit from this because as the more we learn about this sort of thing, it will help other people in the future. But it also helped this this one doctor re, kind of renew his his passion for medicine and, and helping others, which of course that is going to help other people that he will affect in the future also. So that's why I love this story so much. You know, we talk a lot on this show about burnout and how easy it is for people in healthcare to get burned out for lots of different reasons. Usually it's understaffing and feeling underappreciated not usually by the patients, I don't think. I think it's it's generally from the people kind of up above who are making the decisions to hire people or how much to pay and how many people to nurse to patient ratios and just the amount of work that they're willing to put on people who are already under working under such stressful situations. So it is really common and real easy for healthcare professionals to get burnout. Have you ever, how long have you been a nurse? I've only been a nurse for a year and a half. I graduated last spring and, and I've been in the ICU just for about a year now. How long were you on orientation? Like how long was your orientation for ICU? I did a 12-week, it was called a bridge program. So mm-hmm. I bridged over from the med third unit that I had started on as a new grad. Okay. Um, so I did a 12-week orientation with a preceptor. So it was kind of a quick orientation for critical care unit, but um, I work in a really supportive unit. So I've been really lucky that even after I was off orientation, I felt like I was still on it and I had my, all of my coworkers kind of functioned as my preceptors. So it's you are, been really, really wonderful. Good. You're really fortunate to have that. I love hearing stories like that. That's what I want to hear more of. And we try to encourage nurses to be supportive of each other, be supportive of new grads, try to remember that even if they're off orientation, they're still new grads. They're still trying to figure out their time management and trying to learn their skills. And they're still going to come across all sorts of things that they've never seen before. Maybe they saw it once. Maybe they, you know, come across it in nursing school or, or even in orientation. But sometimes it takes repeating something over and over again. So remember that and treat your new grads like they're new grads and like they need 
your support. Just remember what it was like. So I love that you are working in that really supportive environment. That's good for you. It's good for your patients. And that's the way hopefully everybody will be. And it sounds like you hopefully are on a good path to not receive, you know, be a victim of burnout, I hope. The more that we're able to help each other, even an I've found that even when we have staffing issues, you're just always going to have this. You can't, even if you have everyone staffed the way you're supposed to on the staffing sheet, people get sick. People have to call in for whatever reason. And then if there's just the float pool staff is just not there, this is going to happen. You're going to have problems and not always be completely staffed the way you want to be. But I've found that even in those situations in the high stress environment where you just feel like I can't get all this done in 12 hours that I need to, if you support, if your coworkers support each other and when you're, when you we kind of have all your stuff done and you're jumping in and helping other people and everyone kind of is on board doing that, it really, it's, it's like, even though it's stressful, you, you don't leave there feeling defeated because everyone's supporting you. And especially if the person that you're handing your patient off to is supportive and encouraging. I, that is so important. That that one that like what five ten minutes of handoff can can completely ruin an entire shift. You could have had a great shift, and then that five ten minutes that you spend with another person, if they make you feel bad because they like, oh, you didn't, you know, whatever. But you just hung the tubing and you forgot to label it or whatever, and they point it out, and then you go home going, oh, why didn't I label my tubing? You know, just ridiculous stuff like that. You know, we need to give each other a break. Yeah, we do. So anyway, I guess that wraps it up for episode. Nicholas was so good. Thank you for helping. Thank you, Nicholas. Thanks for helping host Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Thanks for being the first. This is our first three-person Good Nurse, Bad Nurse episode. (laughs) And he only made one little peep. I can't believe it. The best little one-month-old ever. He had to say hi. I don't blame him at all for wanting to say hi. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to remind you guys to go on and follow Isabel on nurse underscore Isa and it's nurse underscore I-S-A-A on Instagram. Follow her. She does great. She puts some great posts on there. And also you can come and find us on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse um, on Instagram at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. We, I want to remind everybody also to put your a picture of yourself with your driver's license showing your little heart, your donor heart on there. Be sure and take a picture of yourself with your driver's license and just say, sh- you know, show me your heart or I'm a don- I am a donor or whatever. And then hashtag show me your heart. And you can tag Isabel or, and me or whoever you want to on there. I just would love to see that get started and have more and more people if they're not, if they don't have the heart on their their driver's license to think to do that. Because even if you think, well, I'm an organ donor, I've told my family, whatever it is, if you go ahead and sign up and make that decision now, you're going to take that whole process off of your family because they don't even go to your family. They just automatically do it without having to bother them with that additional stress. So... I want to encourage everyone to do that. And you can go to our website at www.goodnursebadnurse.com. You can send us an email. Be sure and send me stories that you have. I love to get those. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, right, Nicholas? (laughs) (laughs) Be a good nurse.